0: Well good morning everybody. Good morning. If everybody wants to find their seats, I have spoken. There it is. Just kidding. I wouldn't talk like If everybody, how's everybody doing today? I say I have, I've, been, uh, I've been very busy the past couple days watching basketball. If you haven't seen my Facebook, I was Sermon prepping on one screen, watching basketball on the other screen, and yesterday was watching basketball all day long. I, I just love there, yes. Better is one day in the course. I like that. I'm gonna, yes. Oh, that's genius. So, um, I don't know why I say that, but it's just been what I've been doing all day. And as the weather gets warmer, it's we are springtime now. You know what that means. It means church softball is about to start up again. We had a whole year off to get, you know, back in shape and, uh, you know, be ready to go for this coming season to defend our first playoff appearance. So uh, I think we're ready to get back out there. Uh, There's no excuses. If you were injured, there's there's no excuses. You haven't done anything for a year. You can come back out. Uh, We're excited for that and the fellowship that provides. So we're excited here. It is our upper room service, and basically upper room member is just our communion service. So um, if you remember, if you look at the chairs uh, in front of you, I had a cup in here. Where's my communion? Oh, there it is. If you look in the chairs in front of you, you'll see a little communion cup there in the racks below where the Bibles are. This is kind of our COVID-friendly uh, instead of passing around the communion plate, uh, you'll see these little cups and those chairs in front of you. And uh, remember, there's two little tabs, so you kind of open up the first tab, and that gets to the cracker, and then the second tab gets to the little, the tasty juice and everything. So uh, just be ready for that. We're not taking it obviously right now, but at the end of the service, uh, we will have uh, our time of communion. And if you're at home watching us online. Go to your kitchen cabinet and get whatever you need uh, to take uh, communion. So, But as part of the upper room services, we we like to have the kids in the service. We like to have the kids so that they can understand what communion is, why we partake in communion, and and really have them understand they are part of the church, no matter what their age is. And because they're in the service, we like to do something fun to engage uh, the kids. So obviously kids... Uh, you can come on up to the stage as we're going to participate uh, in our, our little kit. And this one's, one's going to be pretty fun if I just speak for myself, I think. We're going to have a good time uh, up here on stage. Here they come. And remember, I have candy. So, all right. So here we go. Well, oh, we got lots coming. All right. All right. Oh, no. The... Whoa. She's good. The show stealer is on stage. All right. So, man, usually we try and social distance with this thing, but I don't think, are we all good with this? Well, we're, we're kind of doing something where we got, all right, yeah, you got mask on at least. All right, so I need everybody to go on that side. Everybody go over there, and we're going to play the classic game of red light, green light. Now all the parents want to come up on stage, don't you? All right, I need one person who wants to call out the red light, green light first. Any volunteers? I know you all just want to play. <sighs> all right, there we go. I guess I'll do it. I'll take, I guess I'll do it. All right. Come on over here. Let's make them, here we go. You can stay here. It's not, when we didn't start yet, show stealer. All right, here we go. You got to turn around. That's cheating. All right. Everybody know the rules? No? What? All right. So, we are going to. Oh, here, let me. All right, go ahead. Red light. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's good. That's a good way to start. Oh, okay. All right. Green light. Red light. (laughs) Green light. Yellow light. Oh, yellow lights, you had. Oh. Red light. Oh, the classic move. Got him. All right. You can we're going to play again. Don't worry. All right. You know who that was? Probably Evelyn. There you go. Oh, she didn't say anything. Gotcha. All right. Green light. Oh, yeah. oh, your brother won. How about that? You happy with that? No. no, she's not. All right. Everybody go back. And this time, this time I'm going to do it. All right. We're going to play my version. Here we go. Ready? Green light. Red light. Oh, you, you moved. Go to the back. Your foot moved. You can go to the back. Oh, your hand moved. You can go to the back. Oh, you're laughing. Go to the back. Go to the back. You move. Go to the back. Go. Oh, I saw your shorts move. Go to the back. Oh, I saw your knee move. Unfair, you say. Thank you. All right. Sorry, script move. Go. Go. You blinked. Go. Uh. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Ready. Green light. Red light. Oh, your hand's shaking. You can go. To the, yep. Hand shaking. Oh, you set up. You could go. All right. You blinked. Your eyeball moved. (laughs) You're laughing. You could go. Ah. Your head moved. Mm. (laughs) All right. I know. All right. Here guys. Good game. Here you guys. You guys made my point. Here you guys guys get some candy. You were a good sport. You're you're about to find out what we were doing there. Run with your eyes closed. That's just not safe. Ah, oh. I want two. I don't know if there's enough for two for everybody. All right, well, you got a new bunny named Pinkie Pie? All right, congratulations. There you go. And here we go. Good job, guys. You guys can go back to your seats. Whoa. All right. There we go. All right. Excellent work, you guys. Well, you know, the great thing was some of those kids, you know, they, they called it out. What did some of those kids say when I was kind of calling them out in these small little details of this game? Not fair. Not fair. How, how dare you? See, it didn't seem right the way I called it out. And today, We're going to be talking about a little group of people called the Pharisees. In fact, you might say the Pharisees weren't fair, you see? Uh Oh, you guys like, okay, you guys like the little pastor jokes. I got a couple more for you, huh? All right. Uh, What are they called pastors in Germany? German shepherds. Yes, yes. All right. Here's a guy, here you go, here you go. One more, one more. Who was the smartest man in the Bible? No, Abraham, because he knew a lot. Oh, come on, yeah, come on, There, yeah. Maybe you'll get that one in a few when you read through Genesis. All right, enough of those jokes there. But you see, it wasn't fair of me, right, to call out these small little details of what was happening in that game, Right? I wasn't following. I, I was breaking these rules like into the finest detail of amount. And, and as I think about that, and I think about that game, I kind of picture that was kind of like what it was like for a Jew maybe to come around the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were this kind of this group that we meet in the New Testament. They were one of the kind of religious groups that we see uh, in the New Testament. We have like the Sadducees, the Herodians, all these different People of the Jewish faith, but it seems like these Pharisees get mentioned over and over again. And what do we know about this group? Generally, we kind of understand that the name Pharisee came from a, an Aramaic word, it seems, which means separated or, or separate ones. In a sense, they saw themselves as separate from the rest of people, or the other people saw them as the separated ones. This was the the strictest group of all the, the Jewish groups. They demanded obedience to the law. They demanded even obedience to the traditions that had been passed down over the years. They loved these laws. They loved the traditions. To them, holiness was found in doing these things. Many believe that any of the beliefs that a lot of the modern Judaism have is is from these Pharisees. The, The Talmud that they have is the traditions that have been passed down over these years. And it was in these areas that Jesus came into disagreement and confrontations with these people over and over again. So today, I want to look at these Pharisees. You know, we've been doing this Upper Room series and we do characters each time. And the Pharisees were not one I had originally planned on, but I was like, you know what? It would be fun to look at these Pharisees and how Jesus interacts with them, what he calls them out on, and who they were and what we can learn from them. We're going to start today by reading John chapter 9. So while you turn there, I'm going to go ahead and open us up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sunday in which we can gather together. We can gather together around the worship. We can gather together around your word. We can gather together in fellowship with one another, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the ways that you have protected us over this year, Lord. We pray that we would continue to minister to the community around us. We pray that we would be holding to the truth of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to John chapter 9, this is one of my, I guess you could say, favorite stories in Scripture. And let me kind of recap quickly what's happening here. Remember, Jesus comes across and there's this man born blind. Jesus spits on the ground. He makes mud and puts it on the man's eyes. That was my original idea for the kid part. But I just thought, maybe not so great. So I think we worked out much better. But then he tells this man after he wipes the mud on his eyes to go and wash in a nearby pool. He goes and washes his eyes, and now he can see. You can imagine that this probably created quite the scene that was happening around this. And we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. And this is what they say. It says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So the one thing we see them holding to, as I said before, the law, especially here we have this Sabbath law. The Pharisees couldn't believe that somebody from God would ever break the Sabbath Rules, And as you read through the book of John, you see over and over, a lot of the miracles Jesus does, they were on the Sabbath. It's almost like he's just kind of purposely just wanting to get under their skin. You see, they they took honoring the Sabbath, but they took it way too far. They remember in John chapter 5 when Jesus hails the lame man. And he wasn't lame because he was unpopular. He couldn't walk. You'll get that in a few moments. Just hold on to that. So as he's healing him, he tells him to pick up his mat and to walk. And the Pharisees see this man carrying his mat, and they flip out. They say, you're carrying your mat. How dare you? Who told you you could carry your mat on the Sabbath? Heaven forbid. It's these areas where he falls under these strict regulations that he keeps butting with them over and over again. You hear the phrase in Scripture called a Sabbath day walk. There was a certain amount that they could walk, and it would be considered okay. It's about a half mile. So they could walk a half mile, and then they wouldn't be sinning. That's the kind of walks I like to go on. No. But anyway, so as he's going on this, this is the strict rules that they would have to follow if you go too far. Even a lot of the Orthodox Jews still follow some very, um, what we would see as dramatic um, laws for the Sabbath. I, I was looking some up online. And here's what I saw. I saw there's no burning of anything allowed. So an automobile engine works by burning gasoline. You know, you turn the ignition and step on the accelerator. Therefore, it is forbidden to drive a car on the Sabbath. You would be breaking the Sabbath law. Heating a piece of metal so it glows is also in the category of of burning. So an electric light, which turns on, it has its filament, all those things, would be considered breaking the Sabbath law. To turn on a light bulb. And there's way more than these, much like the game of red light, green light. The Pharisees made it impossible, it seems, for life to go on. They felt like they were the only ones who could uphold the law. They saw themselves as the better people. They had the law of Moses, they had the traditions that had been passed down. They deeply held to this law. The next thing that we see from John chapter 9 is the fear that they actually put into the people. And, and if you look kind of in, in verse 18 through 22, they kind of question him again. They bring his parents to see, okay, was this kid, was he really born blind? And, and the parents are like, no, we don't want to answer that question. We, we know that he was born blind, but we don't know what else has happened because of this. And in verse 22, it, it gives us the context to why. It says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, the Pharisees, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. The man's parents, they were afraid to answer this question. You see, the synagogue was everything to them. It was their place of of family, place of friends, their place of fellowship, their place of worship. And if they were to turn and confess Jesus to be the Christ, they would be kicked out of the synagogue. We actually see in verse 34, this blind man himself will eventually be kicked out of the synagogue because of his belief in Jesus Christ. Their power was intimidating to the people. They feared what the Pharisees could do to them. Much like those kids had the fear of Seth in them as I walked through the game of red light, green light. Little did they know the small details I could pick out and send them back to the beginning of the line. All those things to see what the Pharisees did to the people, to their Jewish nation. The next thing we see is their spiritual blindness. And in verse 40, Jesus is talking and the Pharisees kind of catch wind of what he's saying. And they say in verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus is basically telling them that if you would admit that you were blind, if you would admit that you were spiritually blind and not seeing, forgiveness could come to you. But because you proclaim that you can see, that you know all things, and you say we see, forgiveness will never come to you. The Pharisees never saw Jesus for who he truly was, the Son of God, the Messiah. They asked him for signs and for proof. And the thing that Jesus tells them is, you know what, you want a sign? You're going to see the sign of Jonah. And what he means by that is, you're going to see me in the, in the ground for three days. And then I'm going to rise again from the dead. You want to see who I am? You will see. And then he says, and you still won't believe who I am. So the Pharisees made the law even more impossible. They put the fear into the people. They didn't realize who Christ was. This is who they were. Now that we understand who they are, what they believe, what they thought, let's see what Jesus even deeper takes issue with them. And the relationship with the Pharisees and Jesus kind of comes to a boiling point in the last year, last week of his life. And I want you to turn now, if you have it, to Matthew 23. And this is the part where Jesus is about to to call out the religious teachers of his time. You know, as we get ready for this, I, I thought back to the great summer of 2002. You know, the summer of 2002, I had just finished my first year. Of Bible College, and I decided that I was going to work at a youth camp in Wisconsin, in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, on their rec staff, running a zip line, doing the climbing wall, all this fun stuff. Now, this was before I met Christy, so maybe you already know kind of where this could be heading, and I had kind of started dating someone towards the end of the year. Ava and Kenzie, cover your ears. Uh, I had limited cell phone use. Communication was kind of, you know, these things called letters. Uh, We had very poor reception out there, and she lived in Kansas. And I get this letter one day, and it arrives to me, and it's from her, and there's a little bit of excitement. I mean, it's cool to get a letter. We don't know that feeling anymore. I open it up, and it's two pages, front and back. And in this letter, she decided to let me know that I was not right for her. You could say it was her woe to Seth. I know you guys, you guys can't believe it, right? Like whoever, like I mean, come on. So what she says was, I was immature. All right, fair point. Especially back then, she proceeded to give examples of possible immaturity that I had. She then also questioned my any kind of spiritual leadership qualities that I could ever have. And I would never be able to lead her properly. The letter was certainly eye-opening and not the easiest to read. Uh, My friend who was sitting next to me, I remember him saying, so what's going on in the letter? And I was like, "I I think she broke up with me. And the most iconic male conversation happened after that. He asked if I was good. I said, yep. And we went and played basketball. So... While I wasn't upset over the relationship, certainly the words made me think. The craziest part, and there's much more to the story, uh, but she, her family had planned their family vacation uh, to come out to Lake Geneva at the same camp so that we could spend time together, and it was the week after she sent the letter, so it became a very awkward week, but there's much more, and that's enough. But she was calling out my life in a way in which Jesus is kind of going to be doing in Matthew 23. I wish I had that letter, but I don't know where it ever happened to it. Um, he, he, I probably did burn it. I guess that's guess what we do. We burn things. Um, so here we have it, and we have now this back-and-forth conversation developing in Matthew chapter three, 23. Uh, he's going to call out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And look at this as we jump into it in Matthew 23, verses 2 and 4. It says the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not do the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but lay themselves they are not willing to move them with their finger. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens upon people, and they themselves do nothing. There are three things that I want to focus on. There's a lot in this that he calls out. But I want to focus kind of on three things specifically. He talks about first their hypocrisy. Later on in Matthew 23, he's going to call them out for being dirty on the inside but clean on the outside. He says they're like a cup, kind of the man man way of washing a dish maybe. Make it look good on the outside and then put it in the dishwasher or something. He says you look clean on the outside, but you're dirty on the inside. He also says you're a a whitewashed tomb. And and what they would do is take kind of whitewash and paint and make the outside of the tomb look real nice, make it look beautiful. But on the inside of the tomb, there is death and decay and disgustingness. He says that's what your life is like. You look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're just terrible. And and growing up, uh, it reminded me of our youth group, because um, what we would do is a lot of us guys and the girls, we'd all get together, and we would go to the local dances of wherever school. We all went to kind of different schools. So we would go as a group and just kind of hang out at the dances and then go to Denny's at midnight, and it was awesome. So we would either be at Parkville or Baltimore Lutheran, as it was known then, and we would get all dressed up and hang out together. However, my friend's dad, Mr. Charlie, was a straight shooter, And whenever he saw us all dressed up, he said, you know what? You can put a monkey in a suit, but it's still a monkey. (laughs) Calling us out and saying, look, you guys might look great, but I know who you are. I know who you are on the inside. And maybe he was true. Come to think of it, that's kind of similar to the letter maybe I got. Uh, I need to pray or something. Um, All right, so here we have this this calling out of them and their hypocrisy and, and the things that are happening in their lives. You remember this the Canon cameras in the 90s? They had this slogan where image is everything, right? As they had their commercials. And that's what the Pharisees lived by. Our image is everything. Jesus is telling them, you're wrong. You're hypocrites. You're you're broken. You're you're putting on this fake front to the people around you. You preach, but you do not practice. And, And this is a dangerous place for us to be in our Christians' lives. When we proclaim Christ, but we don't follow Christ? Or are we living it behind the scenes? In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, he says this He says, And the Lord says, Because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. He says, You proclaim these things, but you aren't following me. We have the right actions, but are we practicing what we preach? Are we watching the things that we say, the things that we do? Do we talk about the dangers of gossip, but then go ahead and gossip about others when they're not around us? Do you have the the Jesus fish on your car, but then cut somebody off and say, how dare you drive so slow? There there are numerous examples that we can have as we live out our Christian lives. We don't want to just say we're a Christian. We want to be that servant. We want to be a servant to those in our lives. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's a 24-7 every day. We are called to be lights to the community around us. However, now we've seen that we're just shadows, shadows that blend in to the darkness of the world. The second area that he calls out is their pride. And in verse 5, he talks about they enlarge their phylacteries, and they have long tassels. And their phylacteries these like little boxes. They were boxes that they would walk around with on their heads or on their arms. And they just must have had just these huge, like, things on their heads, walking around, drawing attention to themselves. Their little tassels on their prayer shawls must have been, like, extending down to the floor as they just kind of walked around to everybody. Tony Evans says that they must have been, like, religious billboards, just walking around and saying, look how holy I am. Look at how great I am. In verse 6 it says they want the place of honor in all these things. And it reminds me in Luke chapter 18 where we have this story of this Pharisee who's praying and this tax collector who's praying. And the Pharisee says this. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He's saying, thank you that I am not like these poor, lowly people, that I am great. I am better than everybody else. I follow the ways of Moses. I give everything. I don't do these things. But then you get the tax collector's prayer in verse 13. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says that it is that man who will be exalted, that man who will get glories in heaven. You know, we look at that prayer of the Pharisee and we realize how dangerous it is, but do we realize how many times do we look down upon others? How many times do we realize that we think we're better than someone else? God hates the pride. He, He hates the proud. The tax collector had it right. We have no right to come before his throne. It is only through Jesus Christ that we are on level playing ground. We are all sinners. We we think about all that we have done and all that we can do for God, and we fall short of the glory of God. You know, it says we are saved by grace. Why? So that no man can boast. It's not like we have accomplished anything in our lives. God have mercy on us. We are sinners. You know, don't let pride be a stumbling block. It it seems like church nowadays has become more about the me than about the we. We think we know what's best. The, The Pharisees thought they had all the answers. They thought they knew the best way to get to God. They thought they had everything right in their lives. And that's where we get to next as we see where Jesus calls them out. And it's in their knowledge He says this goes right along with pride, and they took pride in that they knew the law front and back. They could quote the law over and over again, but their great knowledge never made them wise in every form. On Friday nights, uh, our our small group is working through uh, the the book of Romans. And a couple weeks ago, we were in Romans 12 discussing kind of the, the transformation that happens in our lives. And we were talking about this very topic, this issue of knowledge versus wisdom. And we said that the Pharisees, they, they knew a lot, but they weren't wise in every way. Ashley made a, a comparison uh, about, see, whenever you say stuff, it could come up in a sermon. So she's talked about the difference of it being like book smart versus street smart. And, and this idea that they had all this knowledge, but they couldn't live out and really understand what all this law and what the Old Testament was really pointing to and understanding in their ways. You know, just because you read a book about driving a car, it doesn't mean that you're ready to drive a car. You know, and I took my learner's permit when I was 18 up at the MVA in Bel Air. You know, there's 20 questions. You got to get 18 right. I think I got two wrong in the first four, so I was panicking. But I passed and I got my learner's permit. I had never driven before in a car, but I now had written this test and passed and read a book. And the state of Maryland says I can drive. Does that make sense? Not really, but it's a crazy thought. Well, I thought I would take my chance. My mom had driven me up there, and I said, Here we go. Mom, can I drive home? I had never driven before in a car, and she said, Yes. Yeah. And it was, I'm sure, a nervous wreck. We did get home. We're here. um, But it was not the most uh, easiest drive from Bel Air back to our house here in Perry Hall. I know I was hugging the the shoulder a lot. I'm sure there was a lot of arm grabbing on the uh, door. And as I kind of shared this story with my mom, she said, yeah, the next two, John and Mark, did not get the same opportunity. (laughs) So... I guess it pays to be the first. But I had all this knowledge. I knew, look, turn this blinker on, stop at a red light. I had all that. But I had no reason. I couldn't actually get in and drive the car until I had practiced and understood it. Today we put so much emphasis on knowing God's word. And that is important. That's why we have the reading plan. So that we read through the word of God every day. It's important to memorize the God's word. But I think there's a danger in those things. There's a danger in us it almost causing pride in our lives that I, I have so many verses memorized. But see, it's not about the memorization, it's about the life change that the Word brings into our lives. It's about understanding what the Word of God says that we just don't recite it, but we apply it into our lives. The Pharisees knew the Old Testament and the law better than anyone else but we want to follow their example. I think what we want to do is, as we just mentioned, live the Romans 12 life, where he says, and Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing perfect will. It is in view of the cross. It is in view of God's mercy. And that is what we come today to remember, to to reflect on his death. So is there any hope? Is there any hope in all these things that we've talked about? Is there any hope even for the Pharisees? Well, we see hope in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, it's where we get the ideas of this teaching of this new life, this this new life that we can have in Christ. Do you remember who Jesus meets with in chapter 3? Where's your knowledge? All right, come on. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, right? And what was Nicodemus? A Pharisee. A Pharisee who comes to Jesus at night realizing there's something different about this man. And this is where we get the famous verse where it says, For God so loved the world as he talks to Nicodemus that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And as you look to the rest of Scripture, we see when we understand that Nicodemus, he got it and he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He was reborn there in John chapter 3. But he wasn't the only one. In Acts chapter 15, we we see other Pharisees who have come to know who Jesus Christ is. And then also we have Paul, right? Paul, a Pharisee who would even call himself a, a Pharisee of all Pharisees. The one who knew the law and did everything perfect. But then in Philippians 3, Paul kind of gives a picture of his life as a Pharisee to his new life in Christ. And this is what he says here in beginning in verse, in verse 4. He says, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, to boast in the flesh, take pride in the flesh, he says, I have more. And he goes on to say, I was a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am the best of the best. And in verse 7 he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider them loss for the sake of of knowing Christ, He says even later on that he considers them garbage. He considers them rubbish. All that he had found in his life as a Pharisee. All that he forgets for he wants to, in verse 10, know Christ. To participate in his resurrection. Participate in his sufferings. And this is where he says, Not that I've already obtained all these things, but I press on to know my Savior, Jesus Christ forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. He talks about a lot of things that we've seen here, and he talks about this new life that is offered in Christ. See, the Pharisees were were lost in their sin, And, and some of the Pharisees came to understand the teachings of Christ They realized the hypocrisy within their lives, the pride in their lives, and how they had knowledge but no application of this word of God in their lives. And you see, we have the same thing before us today. If you were in this room, we are all lost in our sins. Scripture tells us that for the wages of sin is death, that we sin and we deserve death. We deserve the wrath of God. But instead, Christ on that Good Friday that we'll talk in a couple of weeks, took on the punishment of God. He paid for our sins. And then he rose again on the third day. This would be the sign, remember, that he shared about. He said, you want a sign, you will see me rise from the dead. And yet they didn't believe. But what about us? What about you? Do you understand all that Christ has done for you? Are you willing to lay aside the things of this world and turn to Christ? To put away your pride, to put away the hypocrisy of your life and live a life that is honoring to God, to press on toward the goal that Paul describes. Repent, turn from your sins, and believe in Christ. If you have yet to do that, I encourage you to talk with me, talk to someone around you, talk with leadership, and understand this new life that is available in Jesus Christ. And as we prepare for a time of communion this is the new life that we think about. We think about the cross and his body which was broken for us. The blood which was spilled out for us on the cross. I invite you to take your cup. And I'm going to be reading from the passage where Paul describes this the institution of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians. And as Paul is writing to them, he says these words. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the body of your Son, Jesus Christ, that it went to the cross, that was nailed to the cross for our sins, Lord. That took on the wrath of God that we deserve, Lord. And now it's there that we find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We thank you for his body. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul goes on as he's writing to these people in 1 Corinthians, and he says this. He says, In the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the the blood of your Son which was spilled, which was poured out on the cross for our sins, Lord. And as we look upon that cross, we can remember the forgiveness that comes to us. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship team, you can come up as we prepare to close and as we reflect on the things that we have looked at today. The, the dangers that these Pharisees had, the ways in which Christ calls them out and says, you don't have it right. Similar to the, maybe the letter I got, I didn't have it right for her. These kids, the unfairness of the game, how dare you call us out for these small details. But Christ comes, does away with the law. He says, you have new life in me. Forget what is behind. Press on to Christ. Find renewal and life in Him. We're going to close with one more song as we end our time together, and it's the song, Overcome. As it reflects, unless it changed, it's still overcome. Sometimes you never know. We're going to sing the song, Overcome how we overcome the things of this world with the blood of Jesus Christ. I invite you to stand with us as we close out our service today.